Welcome back to the Ninja Nerd Podcast. This is episode three. We're talking about acid-based disorders and ABG interpretation. We hope you guys are going to enjoy this one. It's going to be freaking awesome. We're going to be talking about a lot during this episode, so we want to make sure to kind of lay the groundwork here. What you have to do, and I say it every time, I know, but you got to go on our website, ninjanerd.org. You can find illustrations, notes, everything you need, especially for this episode. We're using notes from our website on ABG interpretation and acid-based disorders. All right, guys, this is going to be a five-part series. We're going to be talking a lot about acid-based disorders, metabolic acidosis, alkalosis, respiratory acidosis, alkalosis, everything you can imagine here. But again, become a member. Really check that out. Uh, without further ado, let me bring in the big guy here. Zach, how you feeling? Hey, man. I'm excited. Let's get started here on acid-based disorders and ABG interpretation. Baby. Awesome. All right. So go ahead and let's, let's start off really with the introduction, Zach. Introduce us really. What's the difference between acidosis and alkalosis? Yeah. So acidosis is basically when you guys go back to chemistry, it's any kind of process by which there is an increase in the number of protons, particularly within the blood. And if you guys remember the equation that pH is equal to like the negative log of the proton molecules, that whenever there is an increase in these proton molecules, it drops your pH. And so it would make the blood a little bit more acidic. And so we call that acidemia. When it drops the actual pH within the blood to less than 7.35, we truly have that acidemia. And the process which led to that acidemia is called acidosis. On the other end of the spectrum is alkalosis. So this is a process by which there is an actual decrease in the number of proton ions, maybe because there's more bicarb ions. But either way, if we think about that equation, pH is equal to the negative log of the proton. Whenever there is less protons, that's actually going to increase the pH to the point where the pH within the blood is going to be greater than 7.45. So now we have like an alkalemia. And so the process that led to that is the alkalosis. Obviously, when we talk about these, there's a bunch of different types. So acidosis, there's metabolically driven acidosis, there is respiratory acidosis, and then for the alkalosis, there's metabolic alkalosis and respiratory alkalosis. The basic concept or building blocks for those con like those actual types of acid and uh, uh, alkalosis conditions is that if you think about metabolic acidosis, in these situations, there's something that's actually leading to the increase in the protons ions in the blood or a uh, decrease in the bicarb ions in the blood. And whenever that happens, that drops the pH and makes you more acidotic. In the contralateral side there, we have that metabolic alkalosis. And so in this situation here, we have someone who's having less of the protons within the bloodstream, more of that bicarb, more of that basic molecule in the blood. And again, that's going to increase the pH and cause a metabolic alkalosis. So again, those are the problematic molecules is there's protons and bicarb. Those are the ones that are being altered in some way in the metabolic conditions. With respiratory acidosis, there is something that's actually causing an increase in the CO2 within the bloodstream. And the problem with that is that whenever CO2 combines with water, it makes carbonic acid. Carbonic acid breaks down into bicarbon protons. And so that, again, can lead to that indirect increase in protons. And again, that's one of the things that can lead to this acidosis. So an increase in CO2, which is primarily due to a lung issue, that can lead to respiratory acidosis. Whereas respiratory alkalosis, there's something that's causing a decrease in the CO2. That means less CO2 combines with less water, less carbonic acid, less protons, and less bicarbonate being formed. And so if there's less protons within the bloodstream, again, that's going to cause the pH to go up and cause an alkalosis. So to summate those, again, metabolic acidosis, alkalosis, it's a problem with protons and bicarb directly. Whereas in respiratory acidosis and alkalosis is a problem with the CO2 that the lungs are either accumulating too much CO2 within the blood because they're not exhaling it or you're exhaling off too much CO2 and you have less CO2 within the bloodstream. And so that's the basic concept behind acidosis and alkalosis and the individual disorders under that umbrella term. All right. 
let's recap it. So don't overcomplicate, like I always say. Let's think about it here. Break it up into two things here, acidosis and alkalosis. With acidosis, what's happening here? There is a, it's, it's really a process that's leading to a low blood pH. When that happens, what, what's your pH at? Go ahead, you guys, answer it. What's your pH at if you're, if you're acidotic? Less than 7.35. Now, we're going to, under this umbrella, we're going to talk about it even more. Break it down even further. Metabolic acidosis or respiratory acidosis. With metabolic, it's due to an increase in protons or a decrease in bicarb. With respiratory acidosis, this is due to an increase in the CO2. With alkalosis, what's, this, what's happening here? High blood pH. Your pH then will be at what? Greater than 7.45. Further break this down. Two types under this umbrella. We have metabolic alkalosis and respiratory alkalosis. With the metabolic alkalosis, this is due to a decrease in your protons or an increase in the bicarb. Respiratory alkalosis, this is due to a decrease in the CO2. All right, Zach, so here's what I always wondered. If a person has an acidosis or, or an alkalosis, why is that a problem? Do they just like instantaneously explode and die? <laughs> <laughs> what happens with, with, with acidosis or alkalosis? Yeah, that, that's what, a great question. What makes us worry? Yeah, so that's a great question. There's a lot of systems that can be affected by patients' um, acid-base imbalances. So I think one of the big things is the cardiovascular system to really think about this one. And a patient who has acidosis and there's a lot of protons, a lot of protons, a lot of organic ions, anions that we'll talk about in the bloodstream. What happens is that this really reduces the patient's cardiac output. So it decreases the contractility of the heart. So they stop pushing as much blood out of the heart. It also kind of vasodilates some of their peripheral vessels. And so that drops down your resistance and causes vasodilation. And so it can kind of drop your blood pressure. And the combination of having a reduction in cardiac output and a reduction in your total peripheral resistance will significantly reduce your blood pressure. And again, that's your mean arterial pressure. So the patient can look hypotensive, maybe even shock-like. The other thing it does is it actually really agitates those atrial cells and ventricular cells to start forming their own ectopic rhythms and leading to these increased ventricular rhythms like VTAC and VFib, which is extremely scary. And I think one of the worst case scenarios to be thinking about is especially in these critically ill individuals when they're on uh, particular types of vasopressors to support their blood pressure. Whenever that pH gets really, really low, especially like less than 7.2, vasopressors stop working. And so they actually develop a resistance to vasopressors, which is pretty scary. The other thing with acidosis is it can affect the lungs. And this is, again, more of a compensatory mechanism. So whenever you're having a low pH or in an acidotic situation, what your lungs will try to do is increase your respiratory rate and blow off more CO2. Because if we blow off more CO2, we'll actually clear some of that CO2 and decrease the amount of protons within the bloodstream. And so that's one way. But over time, that can lead to fatigue where the patient is so tachypnic or dyspneic that eventually they start getting weak and they can't maintain that high respiratory rate. The other thing is metabolically. It's really interesting. Whenever somebody is super acidotic, what happens is they push protons into the cell as a compensatory mechanism. But whenever you push protons into the cell, you push potassium ions out of the cell to get those protons ion in. And what happens is the potassium builds up in the bloodstream and this can lead to hyperkalemia. And this can obviously lead to the downstream negative effects in that sense. The other thing is whenever you're super acidotic, insulin actually doesn't work as well. And so you're not able to actually, you know, shuttle glucose into the particular cells. So this can actually potentiate and worsen um, patients' hyperglycemia, as well as, again, actually worsen hyperkalemia. The next thing is neurologically. So acidosis definitely like decreases a lot of the proteins and neurotransmitters that function within the central nervous system. And so you can have less of these neurotransmitters being released and functioning properly. And this can lead to a very significant decrease in neurological function, particularly someone becoming lethargic, obtunded, altered mental status in a way that they're just not, just not actually able to mentate properly. And worst case scenario, they can actually go into a coma. 
On the opposite end of the spectrum, with alkalosis, when someone is having less of the actual protons within the bloodstream, more of the bicarb within their bloodstream, um, or again, less of the CO2, whichever one, again, respiratory or metabolic, the whole endpoint here is that whenever someone's super alkalotic, what happens is this actually has been shown to potentially increase some of the actual ventricular tachyarrhythmias as well. And so you can still see some VTAC, VFib, and it also can agitate some of the uh, tissues, particularly around the AV node, and lead to a superventricular tachycardia as well. In the pulmonary system, again, think about the compensatory mechanism. When you're super alkalotic, okay, you're going to want to actually slow down your respiration so that you can accumulate more CO2. If you accumulate more CO2, you make more protons and drop your pH. And so that will help to compensate for that high pH that you have. The other thing that can happen here is metabolic-wise is that whenever you have lower amounts of protons within the bloodstream, you're not shunting as much of the protons into the cells, and therefore you're not pushing as much of the potassium and the magnesium and the calcium out of the cells. And so what happens is your potassium levels in the blood drop, hypokalemia, magnesium levels in the blood drop, hypomagnesemia, and your calcium levels in the blood drop, hypocalcemia. The other thing here is that whenever there is actually less amounts of protons, there's less uh, blocking of those neurotransmitters and channels that are involved in the neurotransmission. And so there's actually a little bit more action potentials that can occur to the point where these patients can develop tetany, seizures, and again, an altered mental status in these states. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind-the-scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Doctors Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. So Zach, you, you know, uh, we, we've talked before, but you work in the neuroscience ICU. Out of all of these acid-based disorders and your, and your ABG interpretation, what's your worst case scenario? Like, what, Out of all of these, what gives you the, the, the biggest nightmare out of all of them? I would say for the cardiovascular-wise, I think acidosis is going to be something you're more likely going to see, and that's the more concerning type of condition to be on a, a high alert for. And what you'll see with these is, again, going back to it, is the high resistance to vasopressors. You might have a patient who was on maybe one particular vasopressor, but their acidosis is really bad. Maybe they have a pH of like 7. And because of that, that maybe that levofed or that norepinephrine isn't working, and now you're quickly titrating multiple medications up to be able to get that blood pressure to be stable. That's one thing I would definitely be concerned with. The other thing is when someone's super acidotic, they compensate. And so if you see a patient who's huffing and puffing and breathing super fast rates, I'd be going to look for some type of acid-based disorder in that. And then definitely with all of these, super significant is electrolyte abnormalities. Checking a BMP, checking a magnesium level, checking uh, to see what their glucose levels is, like a point of care glucose, I think is extremely important because with these acid-based disorders, you get a lot of electrolyte derangements in these. That's interesting. How often do you see these? Is this something very often or not Not very? No, I, I think we see it pretty commonly. I think in the ICU, one of the big things is obviously acidosis is going to be much more common. Uh, so looking for things like diabetic ketoacidosis, lactic acidosis is probably like the Mac daddy of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then uremic acidosis. I think a lot of those, sometimes, you know, those are what's called a, a group called AGMAs, anion gap metabolic acidosis. And we'll talk about that in a separate podcast. But yeah, I think that's one. And then sometimes we actually do this a lot to our patients where we're giving them 
a lot of sodium chloride infusions, and we can cause something called a NAGMA, a non-metabolic acidosis. Metabolic alkalosis isn't super common, to be honest with you. You don't really see that often. It's not super significant, but I would definitely be on more high alert for the metabolic acidosis. That's awesome. That's, that's pretty cool. So that was a lot of information to, to digest, guys. And I just want to give you a quick little snippet of, you know, what things you have to remember uh, going forward here. So let's break it down to four systems here. We have cardio, palm, metabolic, and, and a neuro. With acidosis, let's run down the list here. Acidosis for cardiovascular, what are we worried about? We're worried about decreased cardiac output. Big complications here. Decreased cardiac output, increased ventricular arrhythmias, and then an increased resistance to vasopressors, as Zach has been talking about pretty problematic. Um, alkalosis, again, we're not too, too concerned with that. With pulmonary acidosis, we're, we're worried about an increase in respiratory rate. This could lead to fatigue. On the flip side, with alkalosis, we're worried about the complete opposite, of course. Decreased respiratory rate, which can lead to hypoxemia. Metabolic, with acidosis, we're worried about hyperkalemia and insulin resistance. With alkalosis, we are worried about hypokalemia, hypomagnesemia, and hypocalcemia. Finally, with our neurodeficits here, with, with acidosis, we are most concerned with an altered mental status and coma. And then with alkalosis, we are worried about, again, same thing, altered mental status, tetany, and then seizures. So Zach, the body is so amazing. It, 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 it can compensate in many different ways. How does it compensate in an acidotic or alkalotic state? Yeah, that's a great question. I think this is really important because sometimes our body has an ability to compensate without us having to sometimes perform any interventions for these patients. And so the ways that we can actually allow these patients to compensate is, except if someone is acidotic, so their pH is really low, maybe because again, they have high CO2, uh, they have high protons or low bicarb, whatever the situation is. Let's pretend that they have, for the, this example, respiratory acidosis. So in this situation, if they have a respiratory acidosis, they're probably in some reason either not breathing, they can't breathe, or they're not being able to get some of that actual CO2 out of the lungs and into the atmosphere. And so what happens is they accumulate a lot of that CO2. That CO2 builds up, and again, it causes an increase in protons and a drop in the pH. So what I want my kidneys to do is I want my kidneys to compensate for that low pH to try to increase it. And so one of the ways that the kidneys will do that is they'll actually pee out a lot of protons and reabsorb more bicarb. And so if we reabsorb more bicarb, will increase our bicarb, our base, and that'll help to be able to increase the pH. That takes a little bit of time, though. It might take like a couple days for that actually to occur. And that's a big thing to remember that that compensation mechanism takes time. In the opposite situation, so if someone has metabolic acidosis, so for whatever reason, they're just increasing their number of protons with inside of the blood, or they're just dropping their bicarb. In this situation now, their pH is also low. Now, again, we'll allow for those kidneys to compensate, but in the interim, guess what? Our respiratory system can be the compensatory mechanism for metabolic disorders. And so in this case, our pH is low, our lungs are gonna to wanna to help to breathe faster and breathe off more CO2. If we breathe off more CO2, we drop the protons in the bloodstream and increase the pH. In the same way, our kidneys will try to compensate. It's just gonna take a little bit of time. And so the way that they would compensate is again, think about it, the pH is low. So what they will try to do 
over like in the next couple of days is they'll try to pee out more of the protons and then again, reabsorb some of that bicarb, but that's going to take a little bit of time. So the respiratory system would be a quick one. I think this is a great example, Rob, because when I'm in the ICU and I have patients who have metabolic acidosis of some kind and they're on the ventilator, they actually want to breathe at a faster rate. And so sometimes putting in them some kind of like ventilator mode that allows for them to breathe at a faster rate actually allows for them to compensate in that sense. And so I'll let them kind of breathe in like a pressure support mode and let them breathe at a rate of 20 or 30, whatever, as long as there's no contraindication indication to that. All right. So for the flip end of this or the other side is the alkalosis. How can people compensate from the alkalosis? So again, respiratory alkalosis, you got to think about this is that the patient's breathing at a crazy fast rate. So the breathing so darn fast or breathing at like 50 you know, breaths per minute, and they're just blowing off all that CO2. The CO2 is low in the blood and that lowers the amount of protons and that is going to increase the pH. So our kidneys have to compensate to decrease the pH. And so what it does, is it excretes less protons. And so we accumulate more protons in the blood and then we actually excrete a lot of bicarb. So we have less base in the blood. And if there's less base in the blood, that's going to make the pH a little bit more acidic. And so again, we'll try to retain more of the protons, excrete less of them, and then we'll excrete a lot of bicarb into the actual urine. And so we get rid of base and increase the acid composition. But again, that takes some time. For the metabolic alkalosis, in this situation, there is a decrease in the number of protons within the bloodstream, but more likely an increase in the amount of bicarb within the bloodstream. And if that is the case, that increase in bicarb is increasing the pH. We have to compensate by trying to decrease it. So what happens is our respiratory system will try to slow down. And if it slows down that respirations and we blow off less CO2, we accumulate more CO2, more CO2 leads to more protons, more protons drops your pH and that compensates. Same way is the kidneys. So again, what's the problem with metabolic alkalosis? The pH is high. And so we want to drop it. And so what the kidneys will do is it'll try to be able to retain again, more of that protons and excrete a lot of the bicarb into the urine. And that will actually allow for the blood to be more acidic because we're going to have less base and more acid. And, but again, that takes a little bit of time, maybe a couple of days before that actually leads to compensation appropriately. All right, Zach, that was a crap ton of info. Do you mind if I summarize? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Baby. All right, let me summarize guys. So here we go. <laughs> Respiratory acidosis. How are we going to comp? These are all the compensation mechanisms here, okay? For respiratory acidosis, we're going to compensate for a high CO2 by reabsorbing more bicarbonate. Metabolic acidosis, we're going to compensate for high protons or low bicarb by breathing faster and exhaling lots of CO2. Respiratory alkalosis, we're going to compensate for a low CO2 by excreting more bicarbonate. Metabolic alkalosis, compensating for a low proton and a high bicarb by breathing slower and less CO2 is exhaled. All right, Zach, I think that was a pretty good summarization here. Uh, I want to diagnose this. I want to diagnose these conditions. I want to interpret them. How do I do it? Yeah, so a lot of the times they'll say, okay, you need an ABG, you need to harpoon the big red and the radial artery um, to be able to diagnose these conditions. I think that you know could be the case in a perfect world, but sometimes you can do this believe it or not, off of a BMP. Um, but I think in the real world, we kind of go off of ABGs and sometimes venous blood gases, I think are actually pretty accurate as well. So either way, most likely you're going to be attaining an arterial blood gas, but I think venous blood gases are somewhat also effective in these situations. But one of the things I'll look at is if I get an ABG, there's different components that I'll get. I'll get a pH, I'll get a CO2, I'll get a bicarb, I'll get an oxygen. And so I can actually get gather a lot of information off of these. So first thing I'll do is I'll look at the pH. So that's going to determine, is this patient acidemic or 
alkalemic. And so if their pH is greater than 7.45, I know I have some type of alkalemia. And then again, if they have a pH less than 7.35, I know they have an acidemia. So there was some type of thing going on here triggering these processes. One of the big things I would highly you know, urge you to consider is that even though a patient has a normal pH somewhere between 7.35 and 7.45 does not mean that they don't have an underlying acid-based disorder going on. They may have compensated completely to actually normalize their pH. So don't actually rule out an acid-based disorder just off a normal pH. That's a big thing. But again, check the pH for the perfect world. It's going to be low or it's going to be high. And that'll give you if it's an alkalosis or an acidosis. All right, after you've done that, the next thing is to check the partial pressure of CO2. So with the partial pressure of CO2, you want to know, is it high? Well, we got to know what the normal range is. So it's 35 to 45 is the normal range. If it is greater than 45, we have more CO2 within the bloodstream. So that's going to be leading you more to like some type of acidosis, right? You're going to have more of that CO2 within the bloodstream. If it's less than 35, that means that there's less CO2 within the bloodstream. That's more likely some type of alkalosis. I think one of the big things to remember here is you can use this like mnemonic to help you to correlate things with the pH. So for example, let's say that a patient has a low pH. If they have a low pH, they're going to have a high CO2 if they have a respiratory type of acidosis. If they have a high pH and they have a low CO2, it's likely to be some type of respiratory alkalosis. And you can remember these are opposite. So respiratory, again, these disorders, respiratory acidosis and alkalosis, the pH and CO2 are opposite. High pH, low CO2. If that is the case, it's respiratory alkalosis. If it's a low pH, high CO2, it's a respiratory acidosis. That's a big thing to think about. All right. After I've done that, I check my bicarb. So when I check my bicarb, I want to know, is it in the normal range, high or low? If it's in the normal range, it's usually between 22 to 26 milliequivalents per liter. If it is less than 22, that means I have less bicarb. Less bicarb means I have less base, more likely that the pH is going to be what? If I have less of the base, then I'm going to have my pH going down because I'm going to have more of an acidotic type of environment. So that's one situation. Less than 22, think about an acidotic environment. If it is greater than 26, I have more base within the blood. If I have more base within the blood, think about it, it's going to make a more alkaline environment. And so that would cause an alkalosis. So again, greater than 26, think alkalosis. And less than 22, think about acidosis. You can, again, think about the uh, the relationship with this is actually the same. So it's opposite of comparison to respiratory. So think about this. If a patient has a high pH and they have a high bicarb, that is a metabolic alkalosis. If the patient has a low pH and a low bicarb, that is going to be a metabolic acidosis. So respiratory, the pH and CO2 go in opposite directions. And in patients with metabolic disorders, their pH and bicarb go in the same direction. So that's a very important thing to remember. Okay. Last thing you're going to do here is if you have a patient who you have a metabolic acidosis, meaning that they have a low pH and a low bicarb, the next thing that you have to consider here is you have to know, okay, is there an elevated anion gap? Okay. So you got to look at their BMP next. So I get, a, I get an ABG or a VBG, and then I add on a BMP to my, my tests here. When I get the BMP, I'm looking at three particular ions. I'm looking at sodium, I'm looking at bicarb, and I'm looking at chloride. I'll take my sodium minus my bicarb minus my chloride. If my anion gap is less than 12, it is a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis, and I don't need to do anything else really. 
if my anion gap is greater than 12, then I have a anion gap metabolic acidosis. And that's important. And we'll talk about all the differentials within these in another podcast. But that's the big thing to think about. So check your anion gap. If it's less than 12, it is a nagma. If it is greater than 12, it is an agma. Okay. That is really, really important to remember. Now, if I have an agma, I got one more step, and then I got to calculate something called a delta-delta ratio. When you calculate the delta-delta ratio, the whole purpose of this is to see if they have a pure agma or a mixed agma. So if there's something else going on, and it just makes things a little bit more complicated and annoying for your boards, but you have to know it. So how do we do this? So what you do here is you take the patient's measured anion gap. Okay. So in this case, let's pretend that their anion gap was 24. You're going to subtract it from whatever the normal anion gap tends to be, which is that upper limit of normal. In this case, we're going to say 12. Then you're going to divide that by the measured bicarb. Okay. So whatever the bicarb is, let's say in this situation, it's like five. And then you're going to subtract that from the normal bicarb. In this case, 24. When you do that, you'll get yourself some particular type of number. And what we look at for this number is, is it less than one, one to two, or greater than two? If that number that you get is less than one, it's an agma and a nagma. If it's one to two, it's a pure agma. And if it is greater than two, it's likely an agma and a metabolic alkalosis that's going on here. Whew, that was a lot, Rob. Yes, sir. Here's what I got to do. Number one, ABG, right? You got to get that ABG. We're going to be getting pH, the PCO2, the bicarb. We're going to calculate the anion gap. And then we're going to look at this crazy thing called the delta-delta uh, ratio for mixed agma disorders. I, I love them. I just love the names. I don't know why. I love them. Um, so this is an awesome podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And we'll, don't forget, this is part one of a five-part series here. This is only really the introduction, laying the groundwork for all of our acid-base disorders. What we're going to be doing now is each other part we're going to be going into is on further detail of a metabolic acidosis alkalosis or a respiratory acidosis alkalosis. So we have a lot more left to do, but this was a great start, Zach. How, how do you feel? I, I think this was a great podcast and I think it's a nice way to kind of just get you guys introduced to acid-based disorders. I think more just kind of like the basics, the fundamentals of acid-based disorders, really understanding the complications, the things that can go wrong whenever somebody has a significant acidosis particularly or alkalosis. So knowing those complications that we talked about, really going through the compensation mechanisms and understanding when a patient is compensating for their acidosis or alkalosis. And then finally, having an approach when you're staring at that ABG at two o'clock in the morning and you're trying to figure out what the heck does this patient have, have a quick approach. Again, check the pH correlated with the CO2. It should be opposite if it's a respiratory disorder. Again, look at the bicarb. It should be in the same direction of the pH if it's a metabolic disorder. Then calculate that anion gap, figure out if it's an agma or an agma. And if it is an agma, calculate that delta-delta ratio to figure out if the patient has some type of mixed disorder. And I think last but not least is also understand that patients can compensate. We didn't go into this a lot of, into detail, but if a patient has a metabolic acidosis, they may slow down their breathing a lot to be able to compensate and normalize their pH. And so that's another thing to consider here is, is the patient compensating in a way that they normalize their pH? Because if they did, they have fully compensated their acid-based disorder, but maybe they're compensating and they're slowing down the respiration rate, but it hasn't been to the full effect and their pH isn't completely normalized. Sometimes we call that a partial compensation. But again, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast, learned a lot. And again, stay tuned. We're going to have another one up and ready to roll. We're going to start off with respiratory acidosis next. So engineers, thank you guys. Love you guys. And as always, until next time.